Are you looking to make your church's ministries more effective? Do you want to reach out to your community but don't know where to start? And do you want to develop your own personal ministry skills? Then join us every third Saturday and Sunday in 2020 for a special workshop series. We'll be covering topics like the gospel, sanctification, literature evangelism, social media, networking, entrepreneurship, and how to start your own center of influence. The location will be at Simplicity Outreach Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. The cost is $15 per person, but we're limiting it to 40 individuals. You can register and check out a full description of all the sessions at AdventistCityMinistries.com. back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. Now, last time we talked about the five mission structures of the Ephesus model. And today we're going to get a little bit deeper into each one and, and share some of the experiences that we've had personally with implementing these things. But of course, we're not going to get super in-depth with them. So if you would like to get super in-depth with them, check out the Ephesus model book on the website. And actually, something I did recently was I put a link up there if you would like a hard copy. If you are living in the continental United States, Canada, we will be happy to ship one out to you and uh, get a hard copy book in your hands. We want to start today in prayer. Bob, would you open up with prayer for us? Father, just bless us today as we look at um, these things of the scripture that help us to understand that you have a plan and that... um, we realize that your plans never fail. So we pray for the inside of the Holy Spirit and for his presence with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we take a look at our first structure, the advanced placement team, we think back to a time in Paul's work on his second missionary journey. He's kind of had these two folks, this married couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and and they're they're getting used to to working with Paul. Yeah, Acts 18, 18 mentions Priscilla and Aquila, and it says, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, where he had taken a vow. And then he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Yeah, so, so what we see here is, is Paul comes with his two friends, and you know the, the, they're his friends because they have the same job that he does. According to Scripture, they were tent makers, and uh, so they could kind of take their jobs on the road with them. And he comes there with them. They kind of do an assessment. Uh, Paul does an assessment. Is this a good place to raise a church? He decides yes. And he leaves these two people behind to begin the work. Yeah, That's he, kind of the essence of it. Yeah. The, you know, the scriptures tell us that he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer, um, he did not consent. And that's because he, he was on a he was on a mission to, to get back to his, uh, his home church in Antioch and, and to finish this, this journey. But he recognized that there was something here worthwhile developing. And so he, he decides to leave his compatriots, Aquila and Priscilla, there to pursue that. So, so this is sort of uh, what we get. You know, it's, it's kind of cute that it's Aquila and Priscilla, and we call it the AP team. But uh, this is the idea, is that Paul leaves two people behind or sends two people forward. We see that later on in, the, in the, uh, chapter 19. When he's going to go to Corinth, he sends Timothy and Erastus in verse 22 of chapter 19 ahead of him to prepare the work. So the question is, why two people? Why, you know, why is he using this tool 
to work the ministry that he's trying to work. Yeah. Why doesn't he send like a whole team of people like right away? Cause that, you know, they'll be able to get a lot more done. And yeah, we actually tried that. Didn't we, Andrew? Uh, we, we tried to assemble the Avengers of, of missions and we found that we weren't prepared because we weren't at that stage of, of development of, of the ministry yet. Yes. We still had some groundwork to do. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's why we're trying to establish a principled approach to ministry is so that because there are going to be places where Jesus sends his disciples where they find out that they should shake the, the dust off their sandals and move to the next place. And so there is some, there's some work in progress that needs to take place. And we, it took us a long time to settle simplicity where simplicity is. Uh, and, and some of that was, you know, uh, just in finding a building or whatever. We really weren't looking at it the same way as Paul. And we, we, we've learned lessons from not doing that. Right. Then one of the obvious um, answers to the question is why did, you know, why did he leave two people there is because he was following the model of Jesus. Yes. And, and that's what Jesus did. He sent his, says he sent them out two by two to places that he would le- later go and preach himself yeah. himself. So, um, you know, Paul is simply uh, copying the master. Right. And he, and these two people immediately begin to do the work that he's brought them there to do. Right. And they're not novices. No. Cause they, they encounter a man according to chapter 18, whose name is Apollos. And we can, he's familiar to us later in scripture. And I, it's, it's, it's good for us to um, look at a few things here because it ties into what we've been doing here uh, in our other podcasts is to look at what, um, the AP team did when they encountered Apollos. It's found in Acts chapter 18 and verses 24 through 28. It says in verse 26 that Apollos apparently was teaching in the synagogue and Aquila and Priscilla heard him and then they took him, explain, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's one of the things that, you know, we're called to, and that is we're called to clarify the gospel whenever we need to do it. And we shouldn't be uh, ashamed to do that because Apollos turned out to be quite the preacher because of that. Right. And well, it's apparently quite the preacher even at that time. Yes. yes. Um, but then, it, you know, and, and it speaks to Apollos's humility and that, willingness. that he was willing to be corrected. Um, and, and we need to, we need to have the same kind of attitude. You know, sometimes we need to have, have our, our thoughts and ideas adjusted into a, in, into a more correct, uh, but these, this principle of listening for the truth of the gospel is repeated again in chapter 19, right? Because the discipleship group is there, and the first thing they need to do is tell them about Jesus. And so as we go forward, there's a lot of people who have uh, ideas about the cross and about you know, religion, and the thing that we've been sent into the world to do is to preach the cross of Christ. And Aquila and Priscilla didn't come expecting to leave. They brought their business with them. They had a home. They started a church. They did, you know, this was going to be their place to live for a while. Right. They were there on a permanent basis and not thinking about, oh, well, I've got to go back and, you know, to my family over there and and return. But they were committed in terms of, okay, wherever you need us, we'll be there uh, without anticipation of ever leaving. And so, uh, and then also with Apollos, he was somebody who was there in the community that they reached out to. And so, yeah, wherever we go, it's all about Jesus. And, that, and that's important. Um, like, uh, you know, they say in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch here, and you can live in a place for 10 years and you're still the new person. Um, and that's the way it is in the city, too. If you don't, you know, if you're not, it takes a long time for the 
indigenous population, for the people who live on the streets around you uh, to accept you as part of who they are. And I think that's part of the, the whole idea of long-term engagement that we see Paul moving into. Uh, it's a change in his ministry of going, you know, just for short periods of time to staying in Ephesus for three years and Corinth for, you know, two years and doing this protracted um, ministry cycle. So part of that is sending somebody ahead, seeing if it's, you know, the, the soil is fertile for planting. And, um, and like you said, Andrew, there's a whole list of things that can be done in a modern context for, for those individuals. Yeah. And so thinking about how we did it originally at Simplicity, you know, what would it look like if we actually followed this step of the model a little bit more faithfully? You know, we wouldn't have had this whole team of young adults come in right away, eventually. But first, we, we probably would have had our director and then one other person go out and do a little bit more exploratory work, network with the community, um, see what was already out there, you know, what other ministries were doing, because we don't want to copy another ministry and do the same thing that other ministries are doing. You know, if somebody has a, a really good food bank or something, like, well, you don't want to build the same thing two blocks away. That's exactly right, because... If it's got something of God, it's something that has efficacy. And so in other words, we would have been much more efficient at what we were trying to accomplish if we had done exactly what you just said. But because we were, you know, we were figuring it out on the way and, and God was gracious, right? The seat of our pants sometimes. Yes, uh, God was gracious to us. And, you know, and we kept studying to see, you know, is there, is there a plan that as we began to see it, we also began to see where our mistakes were, and also God was gracious enough to give us victories along the way. So, yeah, I, I you know, I would encourage uh, people to to go and look at the, some of the list of things that we've, you know, kind of come up with in our small minds as to what a, a team can do ahead of time, because there's a ton in a, in a city that you can do to prepare for a larger group. Right. And it's not something you can just tell somebody, oh, these are the things you should do. No, no. You, you have to go out and explore. You have to talk to people. You have to be involved in their lives because that's the only way you find out what they need yeah. and how you can reach them. That's meaningful to them. Yeah. And I think the, that what we want to talk about next is the idea of Paul just didn't send people ahead of him he came back, but when he came back, he didn't necessarily come by himself. He, he, he brought other resources, human resources along with him. Um, and we outlined in the book, some of the people that Paul used and work with that had specific talents that, um, lent themselves to making the endeavor more successful. And that's, that's the idea of having a, you know, a leadership team where you can identify people's uh, talents and abilities, mm-hmm. um, that maybe needed now to meet some of the things that had been identified by that initial uh, AP team. Right. And so part of that is your spiritual gifting too, that, you know, cause some people, some of these uh, people that are, we, we list there, you know, Timothy and Erastus and Dothanese, some of them have natural talents for these things, financial mm-hmm. acumen. Um, but then some of the other stuff, it really is purely a spiritual gift that, that God has given in order, you know, to care for people in a certain way, pastoral types of gifts. Yeah, as we look at the, the leadership team that he brings here, and we, I think last time we talked about that Paul had a, 
much larger posse, so to speak, of people that would go from it with him from place to place. But they would sort of like one would leave and somebody else would be stuck in there. We talked Luke would go with him sometimes and Titus would be there sometimes, other people. What we know about Ephesus is that there were about seven or eight that we can name, you know, that were actually in Ephesus. And they did have a unique breakdown in terms of their spirit giftedness. And that I think that they're, you know, we just like everything we look at in terms of the way God does things, that there was purpose in the people who were there. God, each one needed to be on that team. Our experience with this whole thing is, is um, that the, the, the leadership team is so important that it has leadership qualities within it. Uh, and that's, that almost sounds like, well, yeah, <laughs> but uh, the reality is it's hard to assemble people who are leaders. Right. You can get a lot of volunteers right. who are willing to, you know, to be, to be led, but to, but to identify people who, who actually are going to take, take the bull by the horns. Right. Otherwise you're, it's a, it can be a, a very difficult time when you're trying to maybe lead, have seven, six or seven directions to lead. And now you realize, well, I only have one or two or three leaders, you know, along the way, the rest have to be developed. So you waste some time with that. In the book, in the book we talk about how, you know, that's not God's efficacy either. And I think a lot of, you know, that when you think about that, um, those resources are usually going to be drawn from, from local churches and when I went down to uh, Brazil in the in the spring, I visited a a uh, center of influence there where they were ministering to immigrants that were coming in and helping them get um, established into their own particular cultures, and uh, and I asked. Uh, the the fellow who was leading out the pastor who was leading out well how, you know who supports us well he had fifteen churches that that actually supported that ministry um, and and five hundred volunteers and and so it takes you know it, it, a, a lot of a lot of those resources are coming from from local individuals and, th- and that's kind of a mindset we that we that we struggle with I think in in uh, um, in, in, in North America with, you know, with the idea of churches kind of, we kind of become insular right. and, and, and parochial. You yeah. Know? Like we know this is our project. We're going to do it ourselves and we're not going to have any outside help, but then to actually, what would it actually be like to join up with other churches in the area and say, Oh, we're going to start this project and we're all going to pitch in and it's going to be much more effective because there's just so much more uh, resources channel being channeled through it. Uh, in terms of finances and volunteers and man hours, you know, that kind of thing. And it'll become much more effective. Yeah. It's a, there's, there's a sort of a, a weird kind of competitivism that goes on amongst churches instead of cooperative. We've been blessed with cooperation from churches in many, many ways and at simplicity. And so we've seen how beautiful that can be for the church that's cooperating and for simplicity itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a big deal. The leadership team is uh, something that you really have to pray and take time to develop. And uh, I don't think Paul just took anybody with him. They had to be people who were, you know, had that sort of uh, uh, apostolic nature of getting ready to get up and go. Right. It's interesting you say that because we actually know that he rejected John Mark yes. the second time because he <laughs> kind of bailed on them in the first. Right. But uh, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't just... Well, I've seen programs that have failed because people haven't planned ahead because they haven't had some type of team to work with and they rely solely on, you know, there's one person and they rely only on their gifts and their knowledge 
and it becomes very, it becomes one-sided and you don't have the, the power of, of numbers there. Uh, you know, the power of bouncing ideas off other people and like, Oh, okay, well what's available out there in the community resources that we can use. And a recent experience where something fell through and it was just very apparent that they had not really talked with other people in the church about how they should do this certain program. It just, it didn't get a lot of visitors to it, you know, um, even though, oh yeah, we invited people and it's much more effective when we gather together with people, pray, and then see where God is working and, and, and do what he's called us to do. Yeah, those are the two um, sort of leadership things, concepts that we uh, have kind of seen in Ephesus. But there's a third one that, you know, in the encounter when Paul comes, and that is, is to be immediately working with people to replace yourself. Yeah. Uh, we, need, you need to, we need to disciple people, right? That's key to being able to uh, repeat the process and move to the next place ultimately. Is this is that there's people in place that when uh, the leadership team might move to a new place, there's a firmly established group of leaders that are there. Again, we haven't, you know, been totally successful with this in uh, simplicity, but we have begun to uh, see that, that that leadership team needs to come from the culture and the neighborhood that you're working in. It has to be, it has to be turned over to, yes. to um, and, and then, you know, Paul's encounter with these fellows that he, on his, on his return that like Apollos, he found a, a group of, of, uh, of individuals who had heard of the baptism of John the Baptist, which, which speaks amazingly to his influence. Right. But he had heard of it and, 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 you know, witnessed to them and, and baptized them with the Holy, with the Holy spirit. And um, that became the group that he then mentored into, to replace actually because it was not his intent to stay there forever um just and we, and until we, it's functioning we see later on that a church was established Absolutely. there were elders there were leaders and I'm, I'm quite sure that some of these 12 were part of that group when paul left so mm-hmm. this was an important part of the process it, and again it's another thing that it takes intentionality so sometimes we set things up like sometimes today we set things up to build a big mega church right? Paul's concept was, let's set it up and move to the next church, right? And so it was- Thinking that'll take care of itself. Right. But we don't think like that. No. Yeah, because it's top down, you know, and then we go up in the rafters and and say, oh, we can leave now. We're done with our shift. And then everything just kind of falls down because the supporting structure leaves. And you kind of talked about that a little bit. What can happen with this whole thing is, is if you aren't, if you don't have the humility of Paul- you can, the, a movement can be started on the basis of a, you know, a charismatic person, but as soon as the charismatic person leaves, it diminishes. Right. So, so Paul, yeah. how do we know Paul wasn't like overly charismatic? Because in the story here, you know, when the crowds are, you know, gathering because of they're angry with this group, Paul's idea is, well, I'm going to go and take care of this. And two other people on the team say, no, Paul, you can't go. We'll take care of this. Okay, and so Paul was knew his place on the team and what he should and he shouldn't do. And so that's a very important thing to do because you would just think, well, Paul would bull through everything and just say, well, this is my party. But he was playing a role just like all the other people in the group would play a role. I'm sure that Paul, because I, and I like to make this analogy, I'm sure that Paul, when, uh, when uh, Luke was along, didn't try to do the kind of medicine that Luke did. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, we know that he didn't because all he did was hand out hankies. Yeah. <laughs> and there were some miraculous things going on. But Luke was a physician. So he was healing people in the way that he was taught. And so, you know, there were times when Paul would do what God asked him to do. And there were times when Luke did what he did. So often we put the strain of ministry on the pastor when God's concept is for everybody to pull their weight, to do what they do best, what they've been trained and spiritually gifted in, because that result, you know, the result often with pastors is there's burnout and there's like, oh, I guess I'm just so tired because there's so many demands on my time and I've got to preach and I've got to prepare this and people expect me to visit them. And, but with this leadership structure and this discipleship structure, it's, Okay, everybody matters. Every everybody has a, a part to play in this, and we can all contribute to the church's well-being. And there's no one person that it primarily falls upon as their responsibility to make sure that everything's healthy. Right. I mean, the the gift of the pastoral gift is a gift, right? It's a gift of the spirit. And what we get confused about most of the time is who's the head of the church. And that is Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and, and instead we want to make the pastor, the head of the church and the, and I'm not, that's not being cynical. I'm just saying that our human nature kind of wants that person who seems to know everything to be in charge. We've talked about the importance of having a, um, a AP team or, or having some, some, some kind of concept of, of where needs and where it is specifically that God would have us function and then the uh, the follow up to that of competent individuals, the leadership team who have necessary skills to to see something come to fruition, and then the um, the idea of trying to develop within the community that you've identified, raising up people to re- essentially replace you uh, to be leaders themselves that that are part of that community where they have their investment in. So what, what's the next step then in the, in the process? That- After discipleship and mentoring is uh, building a center of influence, somewhere where God's love and character can be demonstrated visibly, uh, not through the, the typical churchy liturgy of, of religious practice, but the practical everyday life uh, that we go through. So in Paul's time, there was a, he started a school. Uh, well, yeah, he actually went to a school. Right. That's where he, he it's called the school of Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Yeah. So, so the center of influence then comes along as, as the, the next, the next Paul's case is because he just, you know, he's getting opposition. You know, some of the, the, the Jewish people who were, who didn't like some of the things that he said, uh, and you find that he has opposition from the other side too when when you know when the riot occurs so so the center of influence then becomes the 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 focus point of this engagement of of God in a community we we have to use some language here too because we are friends around the world are listening to this and that is is that what we call center of influence has been called a life hope center right and and that's the language that we need to so people can identify with it but a Life Hope Center can take all kinds of forms, and it should be the determination of what the Life Hope Center looks like should be determined by the, you know, the environment that you're in so in, in, in a, and, and the team that you have in order to make it function. In our case, our Life Hope Center is a community center similar to other community centers in a city, uh, and it just kind of evolved that way because of the group that we had and the skill set that that group 
could could afford to it. But you know, what are some other examples of of uh, life hope centers that you guys know about? You said you saw one in Brazil, and they were meeting the needs of immigrants, right? Right. Um, I've seen restaurants. I've coached you know groups from restaurants. Uh, there's health centers. There's you know, all kinds of things that we can do. Lending libraries. Book there's stores. Bookstores. There's health food stores. There's all kinds of things that we can uh, aim at to that would work in uh, different communities in different ways. So uh, in the in the in where we're at, which is sort of a characterized by a poor population. Um, we might not have a, you know, a health food store with expensive herbs to sell something like that because it might not be patronized, you know, because of that. In fact, we have to, what we found is we have to bring vegetables into the area, uh, because of the, the, you know, the, the crisis of not being able to get, you know, good vegetables in the center city. It's a, it's a food desert. So we're thankful for, a local Adventist church, Bob's church, they grow vegetables and we take down hundreds of pounds of vegetables to the city and they appreciate it. So uh, the center of influence is a, you know, a wonderful tool to do, to accomplish the work to uh, opening the way to the community. And it's often uh, it's here where people experience being the hands of Christ. I think of Ivan, Andrew, if you tell his story, so Ivan was part of a car club and they volunteered to do, I believe a Christmas program and, you know, feed children, families. Um, and so he's there, he's looking around and say, Hey, you guys do church stuff. So he came to us and said, Hey, I want to be baptized. So, you know, what do I have to do? So we started studying with him and eventually, you know, he's baptized because of that. And we coached him through so many different things and, it wasn't just about Bible studies, but it was about being there present in his life. And at one time, um, you know, this is over several years, but he, I lived really close to him. So I could really just walk to his house and then, you know, talk to him whenever he wanted to in person, but also being there in his life about helping him, uh, in financial struggles and relationship advice, uh, family matters and, in a way, in a way that it was healthy and, and meaningful. And then, and then eventually to get to, to see him, uh, find, uh, uh, a strong Christian woman to, to marry and, uh, have in his life. And to the point now where he is focused on, on raising his family in a Christian way and constantly having Christ in his life, um, to the point where he can share that with others. So Andrew, what you described was exactly what we talked about. And that is you had the opportunity to mentor Ivan and as did I, and it happened because he came to this place and he experienced the hands of being the hands of Jesus Mm -hmm. before even really having a good knowledge of the gospel. He wanted more of that. And so this is just a way of us to reach people in the community and let them be the hands of Christ. We do that every Wednesday. We you know, are giving away clothing and food and there's prayer and there's mindfulness that goes on with regards to what, uh, trying to reach them with the, the word of God. Yeah. And so one thing I've learned from that is, you know, it's, it's totally unreasonable to think that, oh, we should only allow, uh, other Adventists or even Christians to, you know, volunteer right. or be part of the process because the very people who need Jesus and who we want to minister are, are the, are the ones who haven't experienced that, you know, people, people want to 
know what it's like to feel the joy of, of helping somebody else. And Andrew, just a question, uh, who is the Wednesday program where, you know, there's clothes to be sorted and put out and food and all that. Who's, who are the primary people that run that at this point? Well, that's, that's mostly put on by folks from the community. That's right. The, the lady who lives across the street, you know, we were there for quite some time before she realized, oh, there's this community center across the street. And she's the kind of person who was collecting clothing and uh, making these kind of mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And then she would just say, hey, why don't I just do this with this community center that lives right across the street? So we're learning these valuable lessons along right. the way. And I think the, uh, you know, the important uh, point here, too, is like if, if you're being effective as a, a, in, in a center of influence, the measure of that is whether or not the community would miss you if you were gone. And right. I think in, in the case of simplicity, that, that, would, that would definitely be the case. We could ask that about a church, too. So the last element, then, is uh, that we see that was established in Ephesus was the church. Mm-hmm. And the church, I think, is it's an important element and, and to differentiate from the um, Life Hope Center. The church is a place where people learn how to be part of the body of Christ. And the center of influence is where they learn how to be Christ's hands. Those are two different things. And, and there is an important aspect of, of, of learning about body participation, you know, in, in, in the church. We know that there was a church there because in first, at the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, which was written while Paul was in Ephesus, he says that the, the church in Aquila and Priscilla's house greets you. Okay. And they were church planters, Aquila and Priscilla, because we find out that they planted a church in Rome as well. So they had that sort of special gift. And, uh, and so, you know, this is an important thing. Some people want to just do church plants. Some people want to just do uh, centers of influence. But in the package that we see, they're kind of part and parcel of the same thing. Right. There has to be elements of all of those things in yes. order for it to effectively reach the community. Right. And I think, I think, you know, it's important for us to delineate that a church is not a building, it's a body of believers. And so, so, so the end goal in your influence at a center of influence is is to turn people into believers of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so the the church then is a now natural outcropping of that, that, um, that influences. And so when you transition somebody from just participating in the center of influence in the Life Hope Center into the body of church, it's not really such a big leap because eventually they're just saying, wow, this is so great. You know, I love coming here. I love doing this. You know, is there something more to this? And then you say, hey, well, we have this body of believers, you know, this group of people, and we have time where we come together and we share our burdens you know, come and, and see because there, there are people there who are just going to wrap their arms around you and, and that are going to care about you and care about what you're going through even more so than what you're seeing here because this is only a taste of what it's like. It's important for us to remember what John says about discipleship. He says that the world will know that you're my disciples by the love between the brethren, right? And so it's, it's not as like we make this really, really hard uh, and that is to attract people to Christ, but 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 it's really on us working on our relationships with each other and and Jesus Christ, and it becomes evident that we care about each other so much that other people are attracted to the Christ that is in us, and so that's where the rubber meets the road, and and where you know the failure rises and falls is is the Holy Spirit being revealed in the lives of the people who are at work. 
in these situations. I'd like I'd like to take a, a macro vision now to set up, uh, you know, what we may talk about in the future and look at what are the some major areas of ministry that seem to be hovering over these uh, five ideas. So in other words, we know they preached the gospel, right? So there was preaching and teaching going on. And right. That would be one of them. What, what, what do you guys see? What other things do you guys see were happening there? Well, a big part of it is medical missionary work. Yeah. Well, okay. break that down because there's... Yeah, you, there's, there's different concepts and some baggage that goes with that. Um, from what I've seen, you know, medical missionary work is not so much about, uh, you know, you have to be a doctor and a trained professional. And of, of course you want those things if you're going <laughs> to practice certain medical procedures, but medical missionary work is m- much broader in the sense of being able to go to somebody in need and healing them through personal interest in their circumstances. Um, so giving them a cup of water, you know, like Jesus said, that that can actually start a healing process in their life uh, to know that somebody cares about them. And then, you know, that goes on to so many other things. And where, where do you see that evidenced in, in Ephesus? Yeah, there, I mean, there's a few things. You have Paul doing all kinds of miracles and touching people and even people just like touching his handkerchief. And of course, with Dr. Luke coming alongside and working with Paul and, you know, they kind of double team it and being present there with, you know, a combination of those miracles and just the investment in people's lives, it starts this healing process, gives them physical healing, but then, which can also then lead to the spiritual healing aspect of it. Yeah, we know that in Ephesus too, that part of the emphasis of, of Paul, we find out is this, that they always took care of the weak or the poor amongst them, you know? And so there's this compassion, there's this real, there's this physical healing, there's this compassionate healing. And so we could describe that part of the ministry as to whatever it, you know, whatever it takes for a person to be healed. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's some people who are not going to hear the gospel because there's something standing in the way in their lives. And that's what medical missionary or, or compassion ministries breaks through first. This is we talk about medical missionary are are, are are things that within that that kind of idea, you're really talking about you know the, the relief of pain, and so many people live in in different kinds of pain. It could be psychological pain. It could be pain of uh, uh, spiritual pain. It could be physical pain. It could be pain from abuse. It can be pain pain from so many things, and a lot of times, you people can't hear you until the pain subsides or goes away. And so sometimes the, the, that's a necessary step is like the pain has got to stop. I don't know if you've ever been in great pain. I have been in my, in my life uh, at times. And, you know, it's like nothing else can, can get through it in those moments until the pain goes away. And so, so when we talk about that in that terms, it's, and, 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 that, and you can relieve people's pain with as little as a smile sometimes. When you're, when you're broken, it's hard to, sometimes your ears, you shut everything else down. And so our intention is to give them, you know, it, the, the truth that leads to eternal life. That's what our intention is. But sometimes we have to take care of the pain and brokenness that exists in people's lives. And that it can be an investment 
to do that. And I think another methodology, uh, going back to your more global idea of things, is, is that you don't see it as locally, but anyway, that Paul employed us. Um, you know, he wrote stuff down. He wrote letters. He was constantly writing letters and sending them to this place and that place. And sometimes people hear things, but, you know, if, if you're like me now, I'm getting a little older, I need, to, I need to write it down and look at it over and over again. They thank God that we have Bibles where the Word is written for us, right? So we can, because you can go and you can read stuff that you've read a hundred times and still and still be blessed by it. Paul was this great literature evangelist to use a, a you know a term uh, probably the greatest ever that ever lived um, as well and we need to need to contemplate that kind of uh, avenue as well. Yeah if he hadn't had done that what would his sphere of influence have been? You, know, you understand what I'm saying like he, if, if we didn't hear the stories of Ephesus and Corinth and you know Thessalonica and stuff like that he, what Paul was doing there was he, he was trying to make, he was accessing a sphere of influence to reach as many people as he possibly could. And we'll see, we can see, well, Ephesus itself was a port uh, that was what probably, if not the most famous port at the time, one of the most famous ports at the time in terms of trade. And so whatever Paul had to say had the potential of going all over the world, right? As we know it, so. and not only him, but but uh, you know his his compatriot Luke, yeah. yes, as well. I I'm, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I I heard that actually, if you go by the number of words that Luke actually wrote more uh, than any other uh, writer of the New Testament, Paul being second. So between the two of them, they the covered ma- it. They they wrote, they wrote the majority of the New Testament. Yeah, and we'll spend more time, I think fleshing these out yeah. as we go, because there's a lot to kind of look at and say, okay, what, you know, we see that there, what's the application to today? And I mean, the, the reality is you're hearing one of those applications of that today is, is instead of just working at simplicity, we're trying to use a podcast to share the news at a, in a much broader scale, but we'll, we should spend in depth. So those are the three main things that kind of overarch. And that is, is that the gospel ministry goes without question. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to understand it to share it. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, we need to have a, a medical missionary approach to things is to look to people's brokenness and see if we can meet the brokenness needs and that might be the first thing that happens in a lot of cases. So they can hear the so good news. So they can hear the good news. And then we need to be thinking about how do we make this influence bigger than, you know, the four blocks around simplicity. Because, you know, God, you know, God can do things beyond our imagination in terms of if we, by faith, move in that direction. So we'll expand on that next time. We'll talk about these three things in greater depth. All right. Thank you for joining us. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. God bless.